At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. I'm Sarah Vallely, professional coach. I help people overcome anxiety, heal from past trauma, improve their relationships, and maintain better work-life balance. Welcome to our show today. We're going to be talking about screen time, addictive tendencies toward our mobile phones, and how families can use electronic plans and overcome some of these challenges. My guest today is Joni Lamb. She is an expert on students with learning differences, neurodiversities, ADHD as a few examples of her expertise, and founded an organization that supports children and young adults to strengthen their executive functioning skills in a holistic way. Welcome, Joni, to the show. Thank you, Sarah. So (laughs) grateful to be here. I'm going to jump right in and talk about some statistics. The average American spends seven hours a day looking at a screen. Mm. About half of that time is spent on a mobile device. And teenagers have a little bit more higher times than adults, but not that much. It's not that big of a difference. Yeah, I believe that. And there are 21 countries who spend more time on their devices than the U.S. So we're not the top. So that's good news. Surprising. Yeah, I was surprised too. Some of the countries that scored really high there are the Philippines, Brazil, and South Africa. European countries, for the most part, were lower than us. And I I kind of wonder if that's because of their culture. They have such a social culture, chatting and getting together and really relaxing. During the pandemic, mobile screen time jumped 30%. Yeah. So globally this year, there were many drops in screen time in different countries. The Philippines had the largest drop of an hour and 15 minutes. The U.S. drop in screen time over the last year is five minutes. Yay. So those are some statistics on screen time and specifically mobile phones. Here's the reason that this is so addictive. The first concept to understand is that we are addicted to the apps, not necessarily the phone, right? It really truly is the apps that are addicting. The phone apps rely on the same addictive qualities as slot machines. So that's a good way to start thinking about how this works. And this is because of dopamine, Dopamine is released after a pleasant experience, such as winning tokens on a slot machine, eating something that tastes really good, a social interaction. So those are some of the situations that would cause us to have this dopamine release. Our phone apps create an inconsistent social interaction. And this is key. It is an inconsistent social interaction, or we can think of it as a stimulation, a social stimulation. Mm -hmm. inconsistent social stimulation, such as a single text would be an example, a like on social media. These social stimulations cause dopamine to release, which feels really good, especially if it's inconsistent and actually feels even better 
if the interaction comes at inconsistent basis, meaning we don't know when it's going to come. It's going to be more random. So the app companies, the slot machine people, they all rely on this phenomenon of our human psyche. The other layer here is that we build up a tolerance to dopamine, meaning we need more dopamine to feel good. So this means we need more and more of these social stimulations to get the same effect. That's what makes this more of an an issue, more addictive. On top of that, the third layer here is that this phenomenon, this experience comes from something that we can take anywhere. There's no limits. We take it into the bathroom and we take it everywhere. So these three factors put together make this a very addictive phenomenon. We're getting these inconsistent social reactions. We're building up our tolerance to the dopamine. That's what makes us feel good. And we're able to do it anywhere, anytime. I had heard of the variable reward system when looking at gaming, but I had never heard the connection with the social media piece. The fact that it's inconsistent adds to that addictive nature of it. That's super interesting. Thank you. So here's some statistics specifically to children. And this is from the CDC. And this includes computer time, but not school related computer time. So eight to 10 year olds average six hours a day for screen time. 11 to 14 year olds average nine hours a day and 15 to 18 year olds, seven and a half hours a day. I had to read that a couple of times because then it kind of drops, which I was surprised. And the way this is broken down for teenagers, three hours and 15 minutes is streaming shows an hour and 45 minutes is gaming and an hour and a half is social media. So those are the three big ones, the the streaming, the shows, the gaming and the the social media, especially for teenagers. So Joni, can you tell us about some of the problems that the families and children face because of all the screen time? The last three and a half years, we've seen an uptake in how many of our students are dealing with depression and anxiety. I do think that it is in part because of electronics. Noticing students more and more when you ask about, you know, hobbies, interests, electronics is often at the top. And sometimes that's it. That makes sense. Kids are losing out on participating in other hobbies and activities because they're dedicating so much time to their phones. I mean, there are only so many hours in the day. You know, there's all that information out there about how you know, it really does affect your mental health, you know, bringing you into feelings of depression and, and loneliness uh, because of the comparing on social media, um, right? All of us adults and children alike, you know, we're going on social media and we're comparing ourselves. Uh, we might feel like we don't have as many friends as other people. We might not feel like we're having as much fun as others. So it can really have a negative impact on our mental health. For adults, having those work apps on our phone can be not good for our work-life balance. And there's also a lot of studies out there that show that the phone use is connected to obesity in children and also poor sleep. I've seen that cycle, you know, with sleep and obesity. My three teenagers, and they were all young, 
I was very clear around boundaries and I'm so grateful I was, but they had, you know, 30 minutes of screen time at night. I had no idea that my oldest was getting up in the middle of the night and going downstairs, getting an electronic device and being on it for hours at night and then would put it back. Zero idea. Then what happens is when there's that sleep deprivation that happens at night, then of course, the next day, because they're feeling fatigued, they need more dopamine hits to stay awake, to stay alert, especially if they're in school. Then, you know, we get the high carb, high sugar thing going, we get the Starbucks drinks going, and then electronics. So many students say, when I feel tired, the only thing I can do is be on electronics. Because as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, the makers of these have that figured out. You can be half asleep and do electronics. So it's that addictive cycle of, I feel crappy from doing this. And because I feel so crappy, there's nothing else I can do except do more of this. I had the same thing happen to my oldest child. My kids had to plug their phones in my room at eight o'clock every night. So my older son would come in in the middle of the night in my room, would lay on the floor in my room with it plugged in into the charger on the phone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I I don't think you and I are alone on that. I think that happens. So here's a little bit of a self quiz. If anybody out there listening is wondering, hmm, am I maybe just a little bit addicted to my cell phone? Uh, so, So here's a few questions to ask yourself. Are you having trouble completing tasks? Are you challenged to feel connected to people in the real world? Do you get irritated if your online time is interrupted? Do you conceal your phone by holding it under the table or separate yourself from others to use your phone? Do you check your phone in the middle of the night? Do you feel concerned about what you are missing if you do not check your social media? And do you feel phantom vibrations or hear phantom tones? I remember the <laughs> first time I experienced that, the the phantom tone ring, like, you know, a couple years after I'd had a phone. Man, that is weird. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. We don't even have people self-evaluate. We just assume that there needs to be boundaries and it could be that they already have boundaries, but to put them on paper. And so I've actually met many people in the community who are not allowing their young children or preteens to have devices. And I would say that is the minority. As far as having an electronics plan, I like the one by American Academy of Pediatrics. Having a due date of, you know, by the first of the year, we're going to have an electronics plan. Every member of the family is participating. We see that as key. And as you said, when you were reading your statistics, there's inconsequential difference between the amount that parents are on it and teens. We like to think that our teens are on it more, but many times that's not the case. 
I will link in the show notes uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics electronics plan. There are just some simple changes that parents can make right away to to really see a difference. And, And one of those is turning your phone off during certain times of the day, buying an alarm clock and leaving your phone in another room when you sleep. We could make some really great strides with with doing that and weaning your phone checks, you know, beginning with checking your phone every 15 minutes and then every 30 minutes and help us wean from that like constant checking. Everyone in my family has an alarm clock, give an alarm clock, give a flashlight, give a timer, give you know, all those things that it's like, oh, I need my phone, a camera, just to not have to have it all the time. What I try to do is respond to texts three times a day. So like before breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Otherwise, it can be like throughout the whole day responding to texts. And I just don't want to live that way. The other thing is trying to check email once a day. Getting really real with ourselves about how often do we really need to do X. I do not want to end my life thinking, oh, I hope everyone was pleased with with how quickly I responded. It's like, no way. (laughs) If I have no boundaries around it, it can literally take up the whole day. The other is dopamine detox days, something that we suggest to the families we work with. It is a way to reset those dopamine levels. I typically do it on Sundays. No flour, no caffeine, no sugar, no electronics. And I try to spend a lot of time in nature on Sundays. On Mondays, there's a reset. feels like it clears out my dopamine system. I will periodically do week-long silent retreats, which really clear it out. Then the smallest things become exciting. Then I come back and it's like having a simple cup of tea is enough. Having a simple conversation is enough. I don't need so much to make me happy. If we can take a look at our phone and see which apps on there are things that we can actually do from our computer, those are really good ones to start with to remove from your phone because yes, you're still using it, you're on your computer, but it's different because you, you're you not going to take your computer all over the place with mm-hmm. you every moment of the day. And so that's the big difference about doing these apps on your computer versus doing them on your phone. There's a little bit more boundaries set in as far as time and places. I really love that suggestion. Uh, as a mindfulness teacher and mindfulness coach, I love the part about being mindful of what is going on in your system, in your emotions, in your thinking, in your body right before you reach for your Mm -hmm. phone? Is it loneliness or is it boredom? What mental state, what emotional state, or even the physical state, you could have a physical discomfort that prompts you to reach your phone. And so using that mindfulness, that being present and taking that pause to notice what's setting you up for that. And and you might not think at first it is anything, it's just this habit, but if you slow down and you notice Mm -hmm. there is a state that's really prompting us to reach out to your phone. For parents, the more vulnerable we can be with our teens, the more vulnerable we can be with ourselves, first and foremost, but then with our family members about our own personal stories of, yeah, I really notice 
I reach my phone when that thought comes in of, I don't have enough friends. You know, for me, it's often, oh, I've got to get this thing done. And that feels uncomfortable. So something on the phone will feel more comfortable. I don't know if families realize how much kids are on electronics schools. I was a teacher for 20 some years. I will tell you that some schools, it's pretty much all day long, they're looking at a screen. There aren't that many schools or teachers who say no phones anymore. They come home and they're like, oh, I need some screen time. And I think a lot of parents think, yeah, they've been at school all day. My philosophy is that when our kids are young, may we wait as long as possible to introduce them to electronics. You as a parent brainstorming different ways to get those needs met for yourself besides handing you know, the, the child an electronics device is well worth the time. Secondly, like I mentioned, is having super clear set time boundaries. It might be hard for a few weeks and it is so worth it. With all that being said around creating structure and boundaries around electronics, at a certain age, we have to let go. I mean, we know that around anything. But with my oldest, who's now 21, when he was 18, 19, et cetera, I also knew I had done my job around electronics and now it was up to him. And yes, it hurt my heart so bad to see him constantly on his phone. He couldn't have it at the table and he couldn't have it at, you know, the ways I described. But now that he's 21, he has come and said, oh, it makes me so sad to think how many hours I spent on electronics. And he is now saying, I want to come up with as many activities as I can. I want to spend more time in nature. The seed was planted He had to go through his sanskaras around electronics. He had to figure it out on his own. And I know if I had spent those years still trying to control him, it would have ruined our relationship. As a coach who specializes in helping people heal from trauma and heal from anxiety, I would say one of the important reasons as a parent to limit that phone time and that computer time is so the children do develop good coping skills because what ends up happening is that our coping skill is our phone and doesn't really even work. It's just kind of like (laughs) something that we just think in our, in our mind that that it's going to help, but it doesn't actually help. And it often can make things worse. So it's so important to, you know, as you're an adult now realizing you want to limit your phone time or you're a parent who's going to limit your phone time for your children, limit the time and then also think about what you're going to replace that time with that is healthy coping strategies, whether that's, you know, a breathing technique or a mindfulness technique or calling a friend, asking for emotional support. It's so important because that's what the phone is doing is removing those really healthy coping techniques from our lives. Joni, I know that you work with families and and you help them set up these 
electronics plans, and I'm sure that there's challenges that the families face. And I would imagine one of them is if you are a parent and you start stating, you know, these are the times of the day that you can use your phone, here's the apps that you can use and and so forth, that that doesn't really work that well if the parent is not modeling that. So I would imagine mm-hmm. that the parent getting on board and also adhering to the electronics plan is probably really important. Absolutely. And so, you know, we have to be parents of integrity. Don't want to have hypocrisy. As parents, there's a lot of projecting that happens. Oh, my teen is this. My child is this. We're really, you know, it's a reflection of ourselves. It might look different in the details, but the feeling is the same inside. The more personal work we can do, listening to podcasts like yours and Becoming more mindful, more self-aware is key to this working because my experience is that when students feel like their parents are, you know, know know-it-alls or telling them what to do or not admitting to their own faults, there's so much more tension with doing something like this electronics plan. Whereas parents who are very respectful and honoring of their teens and children There's more openness to doing something like this. I like to encourage parents to talk to their teens and children like they would their best friend using that tone of voice. I would never go into a room, my best friend's on her phone and say, oh my God, really, Jessica? When we talk that way to our kids, fight, flight, freeze happens, fawn sometimes And so making sure that we are talking in a way about electronics in a way that feels safe for everybody. It's a sensitive issue. I've gone through that with my own children. It's a big deal. So the more sensitive we can be when we approach them, the better. And I also love this idea of tracking our phone usage or helping our children track their phone usage, like actually making a log for maybe a week and and really putting down on paper the the minutes the hours that are mm-hmm. spent on on the device uh, to really just show in black and white what's happening and that also can be helpful to identify which hours of the day that we're using the phone more so that can be very eye opening so i had a student i worked with last year When I first started working with her, I was blown away. She was a homeschool student. She rode horses. She would go out in the summers and work on a ranch out west. She made jewelry. She had her own little art studio that she created in an old shed and did, I kid you not, like 12 different mediums. She did taekwondo. She was an incredible writer as well. And so when she first came, she would talk enthusiastically about all of these things she was doing. And oh my gosh, I just felt like I was such a proponent of homeschool listening to her and how she was had all these hours to dive into these interests and passions. And then she was given a phone. She started doing Minecraft because like many parents, the parents thought, oh, Minecraft is the most innocent of all the different games. One by one, she started doing less and less and less of each of those activities. And it was breaking my heart. We know it's to the point where it's unmanageable. If it starts to 
change our activity level and our enthusiasm for our activities. She was less and less enthusiastic about these things that months before she was very enthusiastic about. So then she wanted to spend less and less time because she wasn't getting much pleasure from them anymore. You know, we were talking about with the dopamine and doing dopamine detoxes and spending time in nature, which is a dopamine reset, that all those things can build the will to want to do more activities. Simon Sinek says that us not having boundaries around electronics with, with our children and teens is analogous to when I was growing up giving my generation the keys to the liquor cabinet. May we not fool ourselves for a second that our children and teens should be able to self-regulate. We cannot say to our youth, okay, you can do all these activities or you can be on electronics. You choose. Nine out of 10 times going to choose the electronics. So it has to be limited so that these other things look more enjoyable. That makes so much sense. So Joni, I know that you support families to face a lot of these challenges that we talked about today and even more challenges that we didn't get a chance to talk about today. Uh, Will you share with us about your organization and how people can get a hold of you? We are called the Center for Inspired Education. Our website is www.centerforinspirededucation.com. And we work with students and families all over the country. So we do face-to-face for those who live locally in Asheville, North Carolina. But we have Zoom coaches. All the coaches are excellent. I've been in this field for 30-some years and so I've hand-picked each coach. We do do tutoring in all different subjects and work with students on the autism spectrum, ADHD, learning differences, dyslexia, etc. And we do what is called executive functioning skills coaching. So that's helping with time management, organization, impulse control, electronics plans, goal setting, working memory, flexibility and thinking, all those kinds of skills plus academic skills if they're a student or work skills if they're an adult. And we do life coaching as a part of our executive functioning skills coaching. I'm so glad you were here. Thank you. The Aware Mind podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please check out our show notes for upcoming events and links to additional resources. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, D as in dwell, mind as in mindfulness.org. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at tsd underscore mindfulness. (laughs) 